Well, how many of you have ever seen the television program, The Amazing Race? Anybody ever seen The Amazing Race? It, it's really uh, quite an amazing show. My, life, my wife likes it. I don't particularly care for it. But it's uh, a group of, of two-person teams that end up traversing all over the earth, following these clues, trying to win. I don't know what, because I've never really watched it. But it's quite a popular show these days. You know, it's amazing to me that as human beings, we seem to have been created by God with this almost insatiable desire for competition. Whether it's competition against the elements or competition against other people or just competition against ourselves, we seem to desire competition. And as a result, we have created all kinds of amazing competitions and races so that we can somehow satisfy that built in desire that we have. One of those amazing races that we've created takes place every July in France. It's called the Tour de France. And it's this incredible bicycle race all over the country of France, actually traversing through the Alps, bicycling to the top of the Alps and then down. An amazing race that we've all seen from time to time. Then in May every year, there's the most amazing automobile race, the Indy 500, that takes place over in the brickyard in Indianapolis. And, and people from all over the world gather to watch this amazing car race as they go around this oval at 200 and some miles an hour trying to win the Indy 500. And then if that weren't an amazing enough race, somebody came up with the idea of the Ironman triathlon race. Now, this is a real fun race. This race begins with a two mile open ocean swim. Then you get out still wet and you put on uh, your shorts and you get on your bike and ride 112 miles through the lava fields of Kona. And then you get off your bike and you run a 26.2 mile marathon. Now, doesn't that just sound like fun and enjoyment? I mean, who would go to Hawaii to do that? I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, they're crazy in the head. But it's an amazing race and people do it every year. And if that were not an amazing enough race, some adrenaline junkie somewhere came up with the Eco Challenge, which are teams of four or five adventurers that are placed somewhere on the globe and they're left to traverse some of the most deadly and challenging terrain on planet Earth, starting at one point and trying to get to their destination, climbing cliffs and rappelling. And uh, it's just an amazing kind of race. As people, it seems like we have such an incredible desire for competition that we create all these kinds of races, uh, not to mention all of the sports leagues and teams and things that we have. It's amazing the things that will turn into competition these days. But I'm absolutely convinced that the most amazing race of all is the race of life. That day in, day out race, we all run to pay our bills and put food on the table and to raise our children and our grandchildren and to somehow in our spare time make a difference in the world, have a positive impact in the world. And it's not easy. In fact, it is such a challenging race that many people check out of the race early because they can't handle the pressure and the stress. Some people in the race of life are just satisfied to just barely cross the finish line. 
while others spend their lives charging hard, sometimes too hard to the finish line. But it's an amazing race that God has given us, this race called life. And I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says about this race of life. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, Paul says this. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Paul says that whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, you're running in a race, the race of life. And though everyone runs in the race, not everyone will win the race. And Paul exhorts us in this passage to run in such a way that we're going to win. So how exactly are we going to be able to do that in 2007? How can 2007 be a year that we run this most amazing race, the race of life, in such a way that we're going to win? And that we'll move into 2008 and 2009 and every year beyond running the race of life to win for God's glory. Well, I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, because in these verses, the Apostle Paul gives young Timothy, as well as us, some amazing counsel, some incredible strategies that will help us run the race of life to win. And as Paul writes these verses, we need to understand he's very near the end of his life. His life is almost over. And he's writing to encourage a young pastor by the name of Timothy, who's pastoring a church in the pagan city of Ephesus. That's a big metropolis, a very cosmopolitan city that's got all kinds of temptation and challenges and all kinds of difficulties. And he's challenging young Timothy to run the race to win, to to don't. Not get pulled off course and not just end up being satisfied to just flop across the finish line at the end of his life. And I want you to listen to what Paul writes here to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Because I believe it's the same kind of encouragement that Paul would give to each of us this morning if he could. Paul says this to Timothy. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now, in these two verses, I think Paul shares with all of us four strategies for running and winning the race of life. There are four strategies that we've got to understand, first of all, but understanding them is not enough. You know, some people say knowledge is power. That's an absolute falsehood. Knowledge is not power. The application of knowledge is power. We still have people who are dying from cancer because they continue to smoke, though we have more knowledge than we've ever had before about the dangers of smoking. And evidently, knowledge is not power. 
It's the application of what we know. And that's where we often fall short in life. We know what to do, but we simply don't do it. And so when it comes to running the race of life to win in 2007, you've got to know these strategies and then you've got to employ them. You've got to live them out in your daily life, week in and week out. And the first strategy that Paul shares with Timothy as well as us here is that we need to understand that life is short and uncertain. The very first strategy to winning the race of life to win is understanding that this life that we live right now is very short and uncertain. Look what Paul says again here in verse six. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. Now, the thing that's interesting uh, to me about this verse is that Paul is sharing with Timothy that his life has already been poured out. He's talking in past tense. I've, I've already laid it all on the line. I've left it all on the field, Timothy, and the time of my death is near. Now, is Paul going to die because he's got some terminal illness that's going to take his life? No, he doesn't have a terminal illness. He's not going to die of old age. He's not dying because of a crime he's committed worthy of the death penalty. But Paul here is realizing that his life is going to be prematurely cut short by the executioner's acts. In spite of living a faithful life and honoring God with his life and doing everything God had asked him to do, Paul realizes that his life is about over. Even though it's unjust and it's unfair, he's accepted the reality that life is short and uncertain. And it's interesting, when you read these verses, Paul doesn't seem to be moaning or complaining or whining. Poor me, this is so unfair, why me? He just matter-of-factly is telling young Timothy, listen, you know, my life has already been poured out and my death is very near. In fact, it could have been days away as Paul was writing these very words. But Paul understood and accepted the reality that this life is very short and uncertain. And so Paul was the kind of guy that didn't put off till tomorrow what he could and should do today because he fully realized that tomorrow might never come. I mean, if you think about some of the things the scripture tells us about the Apostle Paul's life in 2 Corinthians 7 and 12, about how Paul endured all kinds of shipwrecks and stonings and, and all kinds of beatings and betrayals. I mean, if anyone knew that life was short and uncertain, Paul did, because he had so many near-death near experiences. He almost died on many occasions. He was a, like a cat with nine lives. And so Paul knew for certain that life was short, that you couldn't count on tomorrow. You know, I'm convinced that one of the things that keeps most of us from really running the race of life to win and making a difference in the kingdom of God is we truly, truly believe that we have tomorrow to do it. Don't we? I mean, we really do. There's not a single one of us probably sitting here this morning saying to ourselves, this might be my last day on earth. All of us are probably thinking about next week and the week after that and what a bore work is going to be when we get back to it. We just naturally assume we've got tomorrow and the next day. We live with what I call the someday syndrome. 
You know, someday I'll do something great for God. Someday I'll start this. Someday I'll start serving the church. Someday I'll start giving to the church. But it's kind of funny, isn't it, how someday just never seems to come. Someday I'll start that diet. Someday I'll start exercising. But it never comes. We say someday, you know, as soon as I get married, then I'll have a partner and we'll get involved in the church. And then we get married and we say, well, someday, as soon as we get moved into our house and get settled, then we'll start having people over and, and, and hosting a Bible study. And then we get the house and we say, well, someday, as soon as the kids get out of diapers and get a little older, then we'll have time and energy to get involved and have people over and the kids get out of diaper. And then it's as soon as the kids get out of school and we don't have peewee baseball and ballet lessons and all of these things and someday 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 when i what when i get taller shorter fatter thinner it's always someday 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 and as a result it seems like often we never get the things done that we want to do spiritual procrastination is deadly and it's because we aren't convinced that life is short and uncertain. We truly believe that we have the next five to 10 to 15 to 20 years to do something for God, to share with our neighbor, to love our, our relatives, whatever it is. But that's just not the case. And all you need to do is pick up the newspaper any day of the week to be reminded of how short and uncertain this life is. Gina Marie Blue, a 30-year-old mother, woke up, showered, went off to work. It was her birthday, her 30th birthday. And so on her way home from work, she stopped at a local convenience store to buy some supplies for her own birthday party to celebrate. She went into the convenience store while she was in there. Some armed gang members ran in behind her to rob the convenience store. Shots rang out. One of them hit Gina Marie Blue in the head and she fell on the floor of that convenience store dead on her 30th birthday. What a freak accident. Probably the last thing in her mind was when she woke up and got in the shower was that she was showering for the last time, that this was the last day on planet Earth. And yet it was. That's how it happens. Twenty five year old Billy Greismeyer, a mother of two, eight months pregnant on December 21st, her and her husband were driving less than four miles to her parents' house for some pre-Christmas celebration. It was snowy. They were driving to her parents' house and they were hit head on by a Jeep, by an alcohol, uh, a drunk driver. And she and the eight month old baby were killed as a result of that auto accident. Four mile drive. So close to Christmas celebration time. And yet, boom, just like that, life was over. I had a nephew, Justin Rima, 18 years old, graduated from high school in 2003 with honors. It, that was in the summertime in September. He won the Seattle International Film Festival for the best short film. Then in early October, he, he got his dream job at the Paramount Theater in downtown Seattle. He had offers to go to film school. He just, his life was just on an upward trajectory. And by the end of October, he was in the hospital on full 100% oxygen, could not breathe. 
By November, he needed a double lung transplant to survive. I mean, from being a teenager whose life was just on the upswing to in November being literally on his deathbed at the University of Washington Medical Center. Finally, at the end of December, he got a a double lung transplant. But there were complications. And today, three years ago today, my brother and sister-in-law and us had to just, you know, deliberate about, you know, shutting off the life support because he was brain dead. And Justin died on New Year's Eve just three years ago. In a period of three months, his life was just gone like that. It can happen so fast. And yet all of us end up living our lives thinking and assuming that we've got forever to live for Christ. That we've got forever to love our kids. That we've got forever to be that little league coach or that Bible study leader. And it's just not true. If you're serious about running the race of life to win in 2007, you better understand and implement this strategy. Understand and implement the reality that life is very short and uncertain. And if it's worth doing, it's worth doing today. Not next week, not next year. But if God is leading you to do it, do it while you can, because life is so short and uncertain. But there's a second strategy, and that is know your life purpose. Oh, sorry, I missed uh, the second one is always give your best effort. Not just not just understand that life is short and uncertain, but always give your best effort. Look at what Paul says here in verse seven. He says, I have fought the good fight. Now, the Greek words that Paul uses here are very interesting because the words fought and fight literally mean to agonize in competition. It's the idea of giving everything you've got, leaving it on the field. Those those people that cross the finish line and just collapse because they've exhausted every ounce of energy that they have. And as Paul is talking and writing to Timothy, he says, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have competed well in the race of life. I have agonized in the competition of life. I haven't just skated through it. I haven't taken you know, it for granted, but I have given my best effort and encouraging Timothy to do the very same thing. You know, I think one of the things that we need to do in this life is we need to recognize that we need to give whatever we're uh, giving our hand to our very best effort. There aren't any throwaway days in life. You know, if we're going to teach, if we're going to preach, if we're going to sing, if we're going to serve, if we're going to do whatever it is, we should do it with our very best effort. Not just squeaking by with as little effort as we possibly can. I think that goes for school. I think that goes for work. I think that goes for homemakers and mothers and fathers and kids in school. Always give your best effort. Because otherwise you look back and you realize I could have done so much better. If I'd just taken it seriously at the time. If I, if I hadn't tried to get by on the least amount of effort... And if I'd really applied myself, who knows what I could have accomplished? Well, Paul understood 
that if we're going to win the race of life, we've got to always give our best effort. You know, someone said that that half of life or two thirds of life or whatever is just showing up. Well, imagine if you don't just show up, but you always give your best effort. The chances that you have of making an eternal difference. You know, one of the Ironman triathlons that I'll never forget was one of those in Kona, Hawaii, where there was a woman competing and they'd kind of profiled her before the race. You know how they do that on like ABC Sports. They kind of do these little bios so you get really interested in the person. And this gal was running the race. She had been training for a long time and finally qualified for the Ironman. So she ran the, the two or she swam the two mile ocean, open ocean swim and she ran the 112 or rode the 112 mile bike race. And then she started running the 26.2 mile marathon and she got almost to the end. But she had just exhausted herself and just very close to the end. I don't know exactly how far it was, but she totally collapsed. I mean, it's like she had a spasm and her body just gave out and she collapsed on the pavement on the road of that Ironman triathlon. And yet she looked up and she saw the finish line and she said, I can still get there. And she got up and she started crawling on her hands and knees and she crawled all the way to the finish line. And then she collapsed. Now, that's giving your best effort. Now, listen, this woman was racing and running for a water bottle and a T-shirt. That was the prize, a water bottle and a T-shirt. And she was willing to crawl across the finish line. You know, we're in an eternal race. We're racing for the souls of, of friends and neighbors, boys and girls, our, our friends and relatives. There's nothing more significant than what God has called us to do. And yet sometimes it seems we're so nonchalant about it all. Well, I can talk to them next week or the week after that. And we don't really give our best effort to preparing ourselves. That's where I would say this Alpha course is outstanding. I mean, if you're serious about having an answer for the hope that's within you, I would encourage you to to take something like this in 2007, prepare yourself to give your best effort when it comes to sharing your faith or answering the questions of coworkers. But one of the strategies we need to understand and employ is to always give our best effort. When we swing our feet out of bed in the morning, today is another day that I have to give myself to God and to serve other people and love other people to do my best. You know, I wonder, do you think Jesus ever had any days where he wasn't giving his best to God? Do you think there was ever a time where Jesus got up and said, oh, good, this is the day I can just coast? No, Jesus knew he had 33 years to accomplish the salvation of all humanity, past, present and future. And every day he was about his father's business. The same with the Apostle Paul. He knew that time was short and God had called him and he needed to give his best effort. And so do we. Life's too short to give less than your best. The third strategy that we need to understand and, and implement is we need to know our life purpose. We need to know our life purpose. Not only could Paul say, I fought the good fight. I've given my very best effort to this life God has given me. But he could also say, look at verse seven. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. When Paul says, I finished the race, 
That implies that he knew the race he was in and he understood where the finish line was for him. Paul knew the call that God had given him. Paul understood the purpose of his life, the reason that he existed on planet Earth. And so at the end of his life, rather than having regrets and wondering if he did what God had asked him to do, he could say to Timothy, I have finished the race that God gave me to run. I have kept the faith that God has given me to share. And with confidence, he could say, I've done what I've been asked to do. You see, for Paul, there was no getting sidetracked because he knew what his purpose in life was. Now, Paul was a tent maker by profession. That's how he made a living. That's how he put food on the table. But that was not his purpose in life. That was his job. His purpose in life was to share the good news of the gospel with the Gentiles and kings and others and to expand God's kingdom while he had breath in his body. You see, your purpose in life is completely different than your profession or your career. When I'm talking about purpose for life, I'm talking about the transcendent reason you exist as a human being on planet Earth. And very, very often our career or profession is completely different than the purpose of our existence, the reason we're here on planet Earth. And we need to understand the difference of those two. You see, God has given each of us a purpose. He's gifted each of us uniquely and differently. He's given us spiritual gifts and talents and unique strengths that kind of identify who we are and what we're about. And see, our purpose in life or our goal is not to create a purpose for ourselves, but it's to connect ourselves with the purpose that God already has for us. He has created good things for you and for me to do before we were ever born. And so our responsibility is to uncover and discover what are those things that God wants me uniquely to do with my gifts, with my talents, with my strengths, my passions. That's our responsibility as believers is to understand what our unique purpose is. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. We've been created uniquely as a masterpiece of God. And he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I mean, do you really believe that God planned for things for you to do specifically for you that maybe no one else on planet Earth, past, present or future, will be able to do unless you do them? Because of where God has placed you, how he's created you uniquely, the opportunities that he's given you that no one else will ever have in the history of humanity. There are opportunities that God has given me and will give me that no one else will ever have. And the same is true for each and every one of us. But we've got to connect with our purpose, understand how God has made us if we're going to be the people he wants us to be and if we're going to run the race of life to win. So whether it's serving or giving or using our gifts of music and the arts or whatever it is, we have got to understand our life purpose and then be about that life purpose, always giving our best effort to it so that we can run this race to, to win. And then finally, we need to understand that the fourth strategy is we've got to focus on the big picture. 
We've got to keep our focus in life on the big picture. Follow along in verse 8. Paul says, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. You see, Paul was always running the race of life with the big picture in mind. He knew life was not just about the temporal here and now. But Paul knew that this was just a very small part of his eternal life. And that one day he was going to enter into eternity and he was going to get the prize from God himself for being faithful for living his purpose, for always giving his best effort. And that's what can motivate us to live this kind of life and run the race of life to win if we'll always keep our focus on the big picture and recognize that this present life is just such a small part of who we are as eternal creatures in God's kingdom plan. We've got to stay focused on the big picture. You know, in Romans 8.18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed in us. Regardless of how tough this life gets and the suffering that we experience like Paul did, Paul, because he always had his focus on the big picture, realized that no matter how bad the suffering is here, it doesn't even begin to compare with the glory that awaits me. When I get to eternity and I'm able to be with my father, you know, there are some people that live their entire life just for the here and now, just for the trinkets and the treasures and the titles and all of those things of this life. And then they get to the end of their life and they look back and they go, that's it. That's all there was. You know, There is so much more to this life and we can't just focus on retirement and saving up for retirement so we can go and hit golf balls or tennis balls or drive our RV all around the country. Now, that's all great fun and I certainly encourage that. But you've got to have a purpose beyond just that. You've got to recognize that this life is not all there is. There's so much more. And so we need to redeem the time and recognize that that. There's a big picture out there that we need to stay focused on. And so if we want to run the race of life in 2007 to win, there's four strategies that we need to know and implement. The first one is that we've got to really believe that life is short and uncertain, that we don't have forever to do what God has called us to do. Secondly, we need to give our best effort at everything we do, give our very best for God. Our third strategy is we need to know our life's purpose. Why has God created us uniquely and placed us on planet Earth? And then fourth, we've got to keep our focus on the big picture. We've got to see beyond just the here and now and invest ourselves in eternity. Now, let me just share three action steps, three ways that you really could this week go and begin implementing these strategies so so that 2007 is different than 2006. And the very first thing I'd encourage you to do is to develop a life purpose or vision statement. 
Develop a personal purpose or vision statement for your life. Now, this is amazing. We've got a lot of business people, a lot of executives that they can recite the purpose statement for their corporation and the values for their corporation and the mission statement for their corporation. And then you ask them, well, what about your life? What's the mission of your life? What's the purpose of your life? Uh, Gee, I haven't thought about that. Just like they asked the gal on that film, why are you here on earth? Boy, I haven't figured that out yet. We've got to understand our life purpose and mission. Determine right now what you're really living for. And if you'd really like to do that, one of the ways you could do it is uh, I've got a book called Leading from the Inside Out. And in that book, I guide you step by step through developing a life purpose or mission statement, a personal constitution to kind of guide your life and give your best effort and a self-leadership plan. And it's something that just step by step, every chapter ends with a workshop that you could use uh, to do that. And there's a lot of other tools that you could use. Uh, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life, if you haven't read that. But this is something you really want to write down. A second action step is determine if you're a spiritual procrastinator. Determine if you're a spiritual procrastinator. Ask yourself this week if you're one of those people that's living by the someday syndrome. Are you always living in the future? Are you always saying, I'll do that someday when this happens or when the stars align or when my biorhythms are perfect or whatever it is for you? You know, and just decide that you're not going to be a spiritual procrastinator any longer. When God brings something to your mind or encourages you to do something, do it. Take action. Take the steps necessary so that you can have an eternal impact now. And then the third action step I encourage you to take is to evaluate your focus. Really take time to evaluate your focus and just look over the last month or the last six months of 2006. And ask yourself, how have I been spending my time? How have I been investing my time on totally temporal things? Or have I been investing my time with really an eternal focus and trying to invest my life for eternity? Give yourself, you know, a real clear and honest assessment of how you've been focusing your life uh, in 2006 and make a change for 2007. But I just encourage you that as we enter into this whole new year, like I said, it's a blank canvas that we get to write our lives on in 2007. No matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, regardless of the mistakes of 2006, 2007 is that clean slate that we get to start with. And I want to encourage all of us to be serious about running the race of life to win for God's glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the very gift of life. Father, we thank you for the examples in our history, biblical and in our nation's history. Father, so many different people who took seriously your call to run the race of life to win. And Father, I pray that each of us would get motivated to understand how you've created us and why you have uniquely placed us where you placed us with the people surrounding us and the the context that we're living and working in that we might connect with the purpose that you have for us. Father, I pray for each of us at Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church that 2007 would be a year that we're all running in the same direction with an eternal focus, really committed to seeing people come to Christ and your kingdom expanded 
Because, Father, we want to glorify you with our lives. And we ask you to do this and we trust you to do it in Christ's matchless name. Amen.